You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 28. Hi, my name is Servizio. I am your server today. So, Harry, we just ground the beans. Can you smell the coffee in the air? Yeah, yeah. I want to just slurp it up my nostrils like it's nobody's business. Okay, slurp. Mmm. That's good coffee. I'm not just saying that. I'm not just getting a regular check in the mail to say that. This Hockley Valley coffee. Servizio, servizio. Servizio. What is servizio? Servizio is Italian for... Service. Service. And we... Peter and I are going to give you the best of service, the best ever of service. You're going yes. to walk away with this big smile on your face. Service cannot be replicated two times the same way. Really? Mm. Think about it. It's almost impossible. Okay. Well, the reason that that's the case is that service is about relationships. Every relationship is unique, and every fresh relationship is a fresh encounter. Are you equating service to relationships? Absolutely. 158%. And you come to this conclusion, how? Well, by being uh, in the service industry for many years, as I have, and having dealt with thousands and thousands of customers and clients, mm-hmm. the realization is that service is a relationship. It's nothing more than a relationship, really. It's a relationship with information, of course, passing back and forth, but it's a relationship nonetheless between two human beings at the very beginning of it. I mean, it's not not a human being and a lizard. It's two human beings relating to each other. And uh, one of them is there to help the other person in some form or other, that service. By definition, a service isn't tangible. Right, by definition. But on the ground, it really has weight to it, what I'm saying. There's more weight to it than there is to the goods often Mm -hmm. in terms of the effect on the customer or the client. The value that the customer receives. Exactly, the perceived value. Right. is greater on that good when the service is spectacular than when it's crappy. Given that you work for the LCBO or are currently working on a part-time basis for the LCBO, do you have any opinions with reference to you know what you do on a daily basis, what you encounter, what you see as a problem or what you see as something that needs to be improved? Or Well, what I see is a good thing, actually. I see companies like the LCBO and others who have kind of shifted their track, if you like, towards the focus on service. Okay. On customer service being the main thing, a very important thing, beyond the excellent product, beyond the product knowledge that we as employees are asked to gather, the service, the customer service, customer first, is relatively new, if you think about it, in the history of corporate life. Mm -hmm. And so I find it refreshing. Actually, technology changed a lot of that because it's the big tech companies that really pushed that one forward fast. Sure. And technology is used day-to-day in my job, 
and in other environments as well, to help the service become all that much better. So, for example, I can go to a mainframe computer mm-hmm. and I can help a customer locate a product that we don't carry mm-hmm. in another store closest to them. Yep. I can order it for them and have it brought to my store. They can go online and order it and have it delivered to their home if they want to. All of these technological advances smooth the road between customer and customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting, too, about service in terms of definition? Someone like a utility company, one that provides you, say, water or electricity. They're actually providing you with a good, but they're considered a service. That's true. And so our interactions with those companies, it's all about service, not really about the product at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Even though that's what they're in the business of providing. That's right. So what we expect from them, for the most part, is immediate responsiveness to our issues. And as things become more complex, that would seem logical because you can buy so many things. Let's talk about technology specifically. Service becomes paramount because once they buy these sometimes very expensive items, they're completely useless to them unless someone can help them out in navigating them and actually utilizing these products. Yes, as technology has become much more complex, look at automobiles now and how complicated they are computer-driven in a way. You don't put your hands under the hood anymore. You don't. And so you need mechanics who are also technologists, in a sense, who can handle the technology that can diagnose the issues in the car, Mm -hmm. uh, give you an accurate rendering of what the issues are. Mm -hmm. And uh, good service in that case means not inflating the issue or finding other issues to pump up the the profit margin on that sale, on that interaction, etc. And a lot of mechanics have gotten bad reputations Mm -hmm. for doing just that. I think when we get down to the basic on the ground, what service means, it really is a large emphasis on compassion and generosity. And how we interact with each other. Exactly. It's not limited just to function, but it's actually part of our psyche. It's part of the way we affect one another. Sure. And you've talked about it too, Mm -hmm. Peter, about how we've kind of become greedier and more selfish as time has gone on in the modern world. And service is supposedly the exact opposite of that. Yes. So what are we to do when you go into a job and you're expected to give service and you're not used to giving service? It's not that easy in a way. No, it's actually a skill, I believe. There's also things to learn. But I I do think that a lot of it comes from our own personalities and attitude towards life. Yep. Because if we're kind in our thinking, compassionate in our thinking, service is going to come much easier, naturally. Yeah. Kind of measure it as a giver-taker type of relationship. A person who's more of a giver, and I don't mean giver to the extent where it changes from service to servitude, I'm talking about giving and taking in terms of how we view sharing, how we view helping others. So So when does service become servitude in your view? Well, the word servitude by definition almost speaks of enslavement. Right. Where your service is almost excessive or the expectations are excessive. It's now people taking advantage Mm -hmm. as opposed to helping. Have you ever had an experience where you saw that in action? Nothing comes immediately to my mind, although one could argue historically the entire slavery situation in the U.S. was an entire society that was based on servitude. Mm -hmm. Forced Forced, assistance. Yeah, forced service. Forced service. (laughs) Now, myself, I don't know that in terms of being on the receiving end, uh, whether I took on the role of servitude in what I was doing, 
I can't think of any situation because usually when it gets that severe, I rethink or either get out or, or say something. Yeah, and being a part of that service industry, if you like, I feel for people doing service. I mm -hmm. feel for the teller in the bank. They're an employee, they're doing service, and they're representatives of the company, etc. And you know, at times I look around at the bank and I see there's only two tellers, and I get kind of pissed off. and go, come on, there's a big lineup, let's say. Mm -hmm. There's only two tellers. And I'm going, come on, but, that's a managerial thing, though. Okay, you said you were pissed off. Right. It, it irritated you. So when you see the two tellers, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is your anger or aggression at the bank itself? Yeah. Is it at that particular location? Is it at the manager? Is it at the institution? It's at the manager, really, because the manager should be the one to be on track in terms of how busy the bank is at the moment and to see when another teller is required to get that okay. line coming down. The manager, of course, is scheduling is difficult, too, for the manager. The manager is scheduling breaks and lunches and all these things. Well, it's not just that. Here's where I differ a little bit of my view when I see that situation. Maybe 20, 30 years ago, I would have viewed it exactly as you described. In other words, I would have put the emphasis on the individual running that particular establishment or that location, that branch. But today, my thinking has changed a little bit on that. How do you think today? I'm more apt to go after the institution than I am that particular individual branch because my feeling is from what I observe in my daily life and from reading and, and living in this society and so on and being in the field that I'm in and encountering all types of people, professional and otherwise, there seems to be more and more pressure coming up from the top. So in other words, you are the bank manager. However, the directives come from corporate headquarters and saying, I'm only going to give you six people, even though you need 10, and you're going right. to have to figure this out. Right. So the poor guy in the middle takes all the flack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that's where my heart goes out to people in the service industry. Yes, there's the obvious, not everyone performs well. There are people that underperform and there are people that overperform. It's always been the case. Yeah. But when I look at situations now, my mind goes much more to the corporate level than it does to the individual, unless it's a mom, pa shop, yep. right? So if I come to the LCBO, for example, and I see you and one other person, and I see 35 people lined up, and I see only four people in the store, my mind goes, well, this manager's only got so much to work with. He needs a guy here, and he needs a guy here. And it seems to me he's understaffed. Yeah, no, I agree with you. In fact, the manager is servicing his or her Staff, if you think about it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. before I forget. Yeah. I wanted to add one other thing. The industries that are actually depicted and you hone into them as service industries, i.e. social services, health, you almost completely think of them only as services. And yet they are the ones that are often the least capable of handling the loads mm -hmm. due to staffing. And yeah. the expectations are greatest on these individuals who provide what I consider extremely valuable services to the community at generally a lower rate of pay. Sure. While management typically sits and makes decisions, not based on what's actually happening day to day, but based on the directions they get from the people above them. Yeah. And in fact, as you say, often the people who are expected to give the most service are the least compensated. Yes. When I was working in childcare many years ago, working with emotionally disturbed children, the frontline workers who were dealing with the kids and the messes and the emotional explosions and all these mm -hmm. things and the actually physical danger of the job yes. 
were paid the least and supported the least psychologically and monetarily. And so many of those frontline workers didn't last long and, in fact, crawled away from their job. They burned out in many cases. Burnout. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was burnout. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of ass backwards. Really, you should yes. be paying the frontline workers the most because they're handling the relationships and the service side. Well, if not the most, at least a more balanced approach. And more importantly, in my opinion, you have to talk to your frontline people. Good management exchanges information with those who are actually doing the work. You don't sit in an office and direct what's down below without understanding what's down below. Yeah. Come down and take a look at what's happening. Stop giving me a directive that doesn't work. Try it yourself and see. Now, in my work space, the manager is very good because she will come on the floor really often, helping customers if we're too busy to get to them, would be on cash like anyone else sure. doing sales, and is responsible at the same time for making sure that we're doing what we should be doing in yes. terms of the job roster, taking breaks at the appropriate times, all that, and all the scheduling headaches that managers go through. Right. So, I mean, I feel for the manager. It's not an easy job at all. Well, you not only feel for the manager, you actually respect your manager based on the way you're talking, which to me is critical to have a well-functioning environment. You respect the fact that she's your boss, but you also respect her as a co-worker who understands your situation. Yeah, and that respect gets passed on to the customer. Exactly. Through the service that, that we as customer service representatives give. I have to respect the customer, first and foremost, as a human being. Mm -hmm. So when they walk in that door, I'm not seeing them as a customer. I'm seeing them as a human being, someone in the community who is now coming into a space right. that I kind of am familiar with. And so my first interaction with them is as a person, not as a customer. That's critical in service. I've seen situations where I believe people are excessive. They come in with their particular problems and they take it out on whoever's helping them. There are some things that you need to do for yourself too. I can't help you if you don't help me help you. So if you come in to see me and you say, what do I need or can you help me with this? And then I'll say, of course I can. However, I will need your identification or I will need your driver's license or I will need a password, whatever. And of course, you might say, well, I'm sorry, I don't have that. And I'll say, well, unfortunately, as much as I'd like to help you, there's nothing I can do without that. Is there any way I can help you get that and not put it on me because you don't know your password or because you can't find your documents? Right. But here's the other thing about service. On the arts side of things, a lot of actors, that's the stereotype, mm. a lot of actors take jobs in the service industry to make some money to live while they're studying acting or right. doing theater or what have you. And an actor is an actor for a good reason. So in a CSR, a customer service representative, in some respects has to be an actor too, mm -hmm. because I don't go around all day, every day servicing people. I have selfishness too. There are things that I want, I need. Sure. My, my, my. And I might go to work feeling like crap, mm -hmm. feeling like I don't really want to be here. I want to do my theater. I want to do my poetry. But mm -hmm. it's my job. And therefore, I get into the mode, put on my uh, makeup and my costume, playing the part, mm -hmm. being upbeat, being positive, and giving service. So it's something that even if you have to make yourself do it, you can do it and do it effectively and with sincerity, even though in a sense, you'd rather not be there. 
about you, Harry? I mean, your own experience where bad service has completely turned you off that product or service forever. Oh, boy, that's tough. I used to actually self-publish my books on Amazon and sell them through Amazon. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where I said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Because? And that point came when I realized that, first of all, the way they set it up in terms of remunerating the author of the books they sell mm -hmm. is that there has to be a minimum number of books sold before they will cut you a check. And then they didn't inform me that because it's coming out of the U.S., there's taxes on top of that, 30% mm -hmm. mm -hmm. tax that they take off. And on top of that, it takes forever to get the check. And so I was thinking, this is not service. This is horrible. This is ridiculous. And so I just decided, because I had started up my own website, mm -hmm. speaking of technology and all that, that I could as easily sell my book on my website as sell it on Amazon. I would just direct people to my site rather than to Amazon to buy my book. I just felt that their, the service and the setup for how they operate is really totally weighted in their favor. And they've got my money in their accounts making all this interest. And I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs waiting for $100 to come in the mail months and months later. I just felt this was totally wrong. So we're thinking about bringing in a third voice into mm -hmm. this world of uh, the cell. And we're calling it Voxbox. That's V-O-X, a B-O-X. And it's really about what you as a community have discovered or thought about or realized over the past week or two in the world of technology or art. And so we're asking you, what's your thing? What's what you your thing? Which is really kind of a, an improvised uh, discussion. That's right. Anywhere, so, anytime. Anywhere, anytime. So here's the first one. Box, box. So, what's your story? In the last week and a half, I've changed my email address. And why did I change my email address? Because I wanted encrypted email. And I found this product uh, based in Switzerland, based by the same scientists who work at CERN. And CERN is that place where they do that proton um, research in, in thousand feet below the surface kind of thing. And so these scientists came up with an email. Uh, system that's totally encrypted. And so I found this and I decided to join that email list. So I sent emails to all my friends saying I've changed my address. That's interesting. So we're talking to Pierre Leclerc. And where are we? We are at the Starbucks. Okay. In Orangeville. <laughs> Thank you, Pierre. <laughs> box, box. I think one of the things that are overlooked in a lot of businesses and organizations is the importance of the relationship between management and staff or the team. Yeah. When you have a team that does not respect the leadership, you have a serious problem. Sure. But a lot of the times that's overlooked because of the power struggle within companies in terms of their salary, their position, uh, tenure. Sometimes people say, well, they've been there for 10 years or 12 years, so what? They could be there 100 years, they're not doing their job, or it's not working any longer. You have HR, for example, in a company. Well, what good is HR if they're representing the management? Right. HR has to be more unbiased. They have to be more principled in their approach. Why would I, as a worker, go to you if I know you're going to side with management and I'm actually going to risk being in a worse spot than I was before I came to see you? Mm -hmm. Because now I've, I've drawn your attention to my problem. 
And if it doesn't coincide with management, I'm now blacklisted. Yeah. So service actually has different colors and hues depending upon the environment. For yes. HR, uh, that neutrality, that lack of bias mm-hmm. has to be upfront in order for their service to their clients, yes. management or staff, to be effective. In other retail environments, it's a different kind of dynamic yes. where in retail, the first and foremost is to be able to match the needs of the customer to the products yes. that are carried in the shop. Retail is more straightforward. It is a bit more straightforward, yeah, which is why the relationship side of it is so important mm-hmm. because any retail environment can match a product to a customer. Yes. But how that's done and the experience the customer walks away with determines whether they come back or not. And I take that back to tech, which is a really good example. So you buy a $2,000 computer. It's what happens the minute you walk out that door. Yeah. And you go home, you open your box, you start, and you've got a problem 10 minutes in. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people can provide you with that computer, but who's going to provide you with the help when you need it? And a lot of the times I have to say, even though I don't agree with some of their principles or guidelines or even uh, ideologies, I must say that some of the bigger companies, i.e. Apple, you do pay a premium. Very few people would argue that. But they provide the service and the backup 90% of the time. Right. And that's been statistically proved. So it really depends on where you're coming from. And it depends on who you talk to in terms of what they value. I know some people that will argue forever about a product that costs 10% more than another product. If I have the discussion with them and said, okay, let's say that's cost you even 50% more. So that computer that you bought from this company cost you $1,500, and this one only costs $1,000. So you're going, how do you justify $500? How long are you going to have that computer? Oh, three, four years. What does that translate to per year? $80, $100? What's two major screw-ups worth to you in a year? Would you pay $40 not to have a five-hour headache tomorrow? People don't ask themselves these kinds of questions, typically. They look at price. They don't put a value on their time. Mm -hmm. Well, time doesn't count because I'm going to do it. Is that what you want to be doing? Do you want to be running into a problem every week? How are you going to service your customer? The fact is that people will pay more money if they know that the service is good. I will go to a a restaurant that's upscale and know that I'm going to drop $100 or more Mm -hmm. for a dinner with my wife, knowing that the service is really good there. If the service was not good there, you think I would go and drop $100 or more on a meal no matter how good it was? Exactly. Of course not. Exactly. What you might end up doing is you might decide that, you know what, this is so enjoyable that I can't afford to do this as frequently as the $40 restaurants. So what I'm going to do is instead of going out once a month, I'm going to go every two months Mm -hmm. and I'm going to come to this place and enjoy it fully. Yeah, and then tell other people about it. When people say, what's a good restaurant up in Orangeville? I'll tell them this place. I'll mention the name. Mm -hmm. You have a trillion-dollar company, market capitalization, that has built their entire reputation on it. You are paying often one and a half, twice what a comparable product costs for Apple products. Because of the service level, in a way? The service and the guarantee of performance and the quality. Now, people can argue that, of course. Uh, it's not 100%. But why would you be willing to pay? A new iPhone 10 that's fully loaded will actually cost you more than a laptop. Think about that. Mm-hmm. And yet people are willing to pay it. 
because there, there's a follow-up? And well, part of it is good. also excellent marketing. And, of course, there are people who idolize and, and swear by. But really, do you think that a company could do that for 10 years if people weren't actually having the experience of course. That was generally positive. Mm-hmm, sure. Are there exceptions? Of course. Are they perfect? No. But they've proven that you can go after quality and almost name your price. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.